What's going on, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode number 28 of RizzoCast, and we are joined with the man, the myth, the legend. And uh, it's funny that I'm introducing him this way, but this is Joe Shasky, Butcher Boy. You might know him on 95.7 The Game. He uh, now hosts the Morning Roast on 95.7 The Game, along with uh, Bonte Hill and Kate Scott. It's a great show. I'd suggest you listen to it. Uh, so super happy to have uh, Joe here. First of all, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, it's just a beautiful buildup to Christmas, a different Christmas, a COVID Christmas. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm missing coaching right now. I, I miss being out in gymnasiums coaching. I miss baseball season this year coaching. Like, I miss being out uh, out on the diamond, you know, hitting grounders, just playing catch, to be honest with you. I miss – I miss the camaraderie of team sports. I miss the coaching aspect, the development aspect, but just more the interpersonal relationships that you build with people. You know this. I'm sure you got tons of coaches that, you know, you, you grow a relationship with away from the game of sports, you know, and, and I miss those kinds of things. And just competition, you know, to be totally honest with you. I, I miss all of it. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Coaches are definitely some of the most impactful people that um... – you know, a young person can have. And I think we've missed that. I know I missed it. My season was cut short. It was, it was tough so for me. Um, but I got over it. You know, we, we got this whole thing going on now. So, so we're all good. Have you got your Christmas shopping done? Are you big on Christmas shopping? What's going on in that department? Well, uh, we've been going through a remodel lately. So basically Amazon boxes have been showing up every single day for months. So it's been Christmas every single day here at the Shasky household, which my bank account has been feeling it, to be totally honest with you. I, I'm, I like to go physically shopping for people. I think it's a little more intimate, in my opinion. You go out and you actually hand select something. There's some thought into it. I'm an old school person, as you can tell. So as much as I love Amazon and I'm guilty from buying a ton of stuff from there, I actually like to go out like the week of Christmas, I know, into the eye of the storm and actually go out and hunt and get things. And I try to be as thoughtful as I can. But, um, yeah, I mean, I haven't really done much Christmas shopping, to be honest with you, this year. Are you a last-minute Christmas Eve guy? Uh, not necessarily Christmas Eve, but I will get my wife something on Christmas Eve, last minute to kind of add into the, to the stash, if you will. But usually she has to verify all the gifts I get from my nephews, my nieces, cousins, aunts, uncles, things like that. She is kind of on top of it. She's much more diligent and detailed. Details aren't necessarily my thing. I, I'm, I'm impromptu, if you know what I mean. That's awesome. So one of the reasons I brought you on here is because this is one of the most awesome times for me because I love the Hall of Fame. I love talking Hall of Fame. Obviously, I wasn't around when a lot of these guys were still playing. So it's interesting for me to go in and, and kind of um, and look at to, to see what other people are saying about the subject. And I know you have some hot takes, not necessarily hot takes, but strong opinions on the Hall of Fame. How much of a crime is it? that Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are not in and they have two years left on the BBWA Hall of Fame ballot? Well, if you peel it back a little, Stephen, the way I view it is not going to be the way everybody else views it, right? But the way I view the Hall of Fame, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, golf Hall of Fame, sports writers Hall of Fame, you name it, right? Can you write the history of that game without their inclusion? And that's my line of demarcation, right? That's how I, if you were to explain to someone who just got to this planet or just was learning the sport, could you explain the game of baseball in the last 30, 40 years without including Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens? Now, again, they have to have the impact on the field. It can't just be like some scandal, you know, where, where the person wasn't a great player. But I'm talking about as far as the X's and O's, wins and losses, the history of the game, how the record books have been rewritten by these two in particular. Can you explain the game of baseball to someone like you who wants to be a historian of the game, who wants to know about all these players without talking about these great players? It happened. We cannot omit what happened in history. We don't do this with wars. We don't go back and say, hey, you know that Hitler guy. Let's omit him from the record books. Like, horrible human being. But we still acknowledge his presence and we acknowledge the things that he did so that we don't repeat them in the future. These guys, Roger Clement and Barry Bonds, they're two of the greatest players I've ever seen in my life. Did they cheat? Absolutely. They cheated. 
but it happened. And unfortunately, it was an acceptable part of the game. The owners themselves profited off it. The media profited off of it. Bud Selig, who's in the Hall of Fame, profited off of it. So the way I'm looking at it is got to let these guys in because you cannot write the history of the game without the greatest left fielder of all time and one of the greatest starting pitchers of all time. They rewrote the, the, the record books, and I know that pisses people off, but it happened. I saw it. I enjoyed it. You wrote an article about it. You loved it. You got paid because of it. It happened. Put it on their plaques and allow me to take my kids and say, this is Barry Bonds. He was a great baseball player, but you see this asterisk? He did some things that I wish he didn't, but he did now let me teach you something this is a moment for me to be a parent or a guardian and actually have a difficult conversation with you it's not the hall of great people this is the hall of very damn good baseball players and i just i it drives me nuts that these guys aren't in there mm -hmm. yeah if 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 it was the hall of choir boys you know how many people would be left out like it's especially the ones really early on um you know the racists that are in there from really early on Ty Cobb, I'm pretty sure, killed a guy at some point. Mm -hmm. Don't quote me on that. But, mm -hmm. And also, you know, amphetamines and, and greenies. These were things that were active way back when. And Hank Aaron, Hank Aaron's one of the guys that admitted to, you know, hey, I did greenies. One more thing I got for you, because I got it right here uh, in my room on the bookshelf. This book, Juiced, Jose Canseco, okay? He pretty much snitches on everybody he knew who was doing something during that time, Okay. He was spot on with every single mm -hmm. one of them. Pudge Rodriguez was among the names. He is in this book. He was listed in this book, and he's in the Hall of Fame. So there are steroid users far beyond Pudge Rodriguez, Jeff Bagwell, Mike Piazza, who was like a millionth round draft pick, and they're in the Hall of Fame. So that what? Is, a little, is a little suspicious. Well, there, there's no question about it. And, and you have so much contradiction. So you have the baseball media writers who they want to play selective jurisprudence. Did I like you? Do I think you did steroids? Has steroids taught us anything? D. Gordon weighs 110 pounds dripping wet. Bicyclists in, the, in, the, in all of the different bicycling competitions that have been happening for the last 20 years have all been doping. Every one of them. You cannot just size someone up because of their body and say, that guy's on roids. That guy isn't. That's selective jurisprudence to me. That's discrimination. You just don't know. What we do know is the numbers and the highlights that these guys accumulated. Let's go off the known facts. That's all you can do. Bartolo Colon weighed like 280 pounds. He did steroids. Everybody was doing steroids. Andy Pettit, he's a nice guy. He apologized. You know, everyone gives him a pass. It's going to be very interesting when David Ortiz, who to me is the most obvious juicer of them all, which is fine. He, he lifted the Boston Red Sox curse, and then at almost 40 years old, had one of the greatest World Series we've ever seen. Look at what he did with the Twins before he got to Boston. Look what he did when he was batting in a lineup with a known juicer who was suspended by the game of baseball on Manny Ramirez. You cannot take one of these guys out without talking about steroids. And it just drives me absolutely nuts because we want to like a buffet cart, pick and choose who we like, which statistics we'll honor, which memories we think are valid and which ones aren't. It all happened. It was an era. Mark it as such. Like there's a dead ball era. You've got before uh, integration. You have that particular era. This is the steroid era. I'm sorry. It happened. Acknowledge it. These were the great players. Put it on their plaque and allow them to be in Cooperstown. Yeah, 100%. And we're going to keep talking about this for years to come. Oh, it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. it, this is the part that drives me nuts more than anything. And, Stephen, I, I mean this sincerely. I know you want to get into the media. You're doing a great job with what you're doing. But it drives me nuts. The guardians of the game in baseball, Vince Scully, John Miller, uh, think about whoever you want, Joe Morgan, who just passed away. None of them have a vote. But some guy in Topeka, Kansas, who didn't have direct TV and didn't watch any National League baseball his entire life, he gets a vote because he happened to write as a columnist for 10 years? It's an absolute joke. It's an absolute joke. It drives me nuts. And, again, it goes back to the same thing. Who is picking for this Hall of Fame? Is the Hall of Fame for the writers or is the Hall of Fame for the fans and for the game of baseball? Because if that's what it's for, these people need to be included – and when you take your family there, you need to have a hard, difficult decision to talk with them and tell these young kids that you have in your family, hey, 
these guys were great ball players, and they didn't have to do this stuff, but they did, and it was wrong. And yeah, they're in here, but let's talk about why it was wrong. And that's the thing that I just drives me nuts. This gives you an opportunity to actually come out on the positive end if you're a family. Like you have an opportunity to have a difficult conversation with your kid, and I don't think it's a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you bring up a good point with some of the people that are currently voting have not written a baseball article in 15 years and it drives it's, me nuts. it's it's amazing so let's move on here you got a chance to watch omar Vizquel for a few years in san francisco he looks like he's trending upward in a good direction probably going to get up uh end up getting in excuse me do you think when you were watching him play shortstop for the san francisco giants and this is a guy who has logged the most innings at shortstop among anybody in the game that the game has ever seen is Omar Vizquel a Hall of Famer? This is a, this is a tough question, and I think that this is one of those interesting guys. In my opinion, watching him every single day for, what I believe, three or four years with the San Francisco Giants, I saw a guy that I thought was a Hall of Famer in real time. In real time. That's what I thought I was watching. I still, to this day, at 40 years old, thought he played the best shortstop I've ever seen in my entire life. Period. The guy was not only playing the shortstop position, he played up the middle when there were no shifts. He played in short left with Barry Bonds, who couldn't move at all. He was an absolute statue at that part of his career. The ability to make the ball disappear in his glove, in his hand, and backdoor people at third base, uh, tag a guy at second base with the wizardry that you see now from the Javi Baez's and different guys that have just unbelievable hand-eye coordination. It all goes back to someone like Omar Vizquel. I don't think at his peak he was in the A-Rod or Derek Jeter category, but I look at what his body of work is, and there's different criteria to get you in there. But I look at his body of work, his longevity, how long he did it, and how great he was. Let's go back and look at the shortstoppers of that era. Miguel Tejada, Nomar Garcia Parra, Alex Rodriguez, Derek Jeter. He's by far and away of some great players the best defensive shortstop of the bunch, okay? In my opinion, if you're the best that I've ever seen to do it, you belong in. That's just my criteria. When I watched him, he played the game the right way. He gave his life to baseball. And I know the hitting, everyone points to the hitting. I thought he was a damn good hitter. I mean, I really do. I think we obsess about, about RBIs and home runs and things like that. He was a great situational hitter. If he needed to slap the ball down the third baseline to move someone over, he would do that. If he needed to just wave one over into short right field to let that runner tag up, he could do that as well. Omar Vizquel was so much better than the statistics. And I feel bad for people that didn't get a chance to watch him every single day. I didn't even realize how great he was uh, until he became a giant. But I do tell you this. I do believe in my heart of hearts the greatest double play combination of my life is Roberto Alomar and Omar Vizquel for the Cleveland Indians. And for that alone, I, I believe that he should be in the Hall of Fame because Poppy Alomar is one of the baddest dudes I've ever seen on this planet. Longevity, body of work, and then just my eyeballs. He's a Hall of Famer to me. Yeah, played 24 years at the big league level too, so he was useful for, for all of that time, according to a major league team. Speaking of major league teams, let's, let's kind of pivot to – do you think he is? Let me ask, do you think he's a Hall of Famer? As someone who didn't get an opportunity mm -hmm. to maybe maybe see him, it's probably hard to extract what I'm saying and quantify it because everyone's so obsessed with numbers. The Hall of Fame is such an offensive-driven, you know, uh, museum. Do you think he's a Hall of Famer? That's – I. you know what? I put him on. I, I put him on my mock ballot. I did because I do think that if you've played the most games at a position where he played the most games at shortstop – uh, it, you know, even if you're in your, your early 40s and you're still getting, you know, innings in at shortstop, I mean, that's trust right there. And, and you know, obviously I think hitting is, is the big downfall. But, you know, it's not as bad as people think. You know, 272 batting average, I believe he ended up with. It's a great career. You know, 272 is a good – for 24 seasons, it's a great career. 2,800 hits. You know, he, mean, had, he hit a little bit. So, you know what, and Ozzie Smith wasn't Barry Bonds at the plate. So I think there's a lot to be said with defense, and it gets overlooked so much. Uh, and I think the same argument could go, who knows, for Andrew Jones. You know, maybe, uh, maybe a guy like Andrew Jones gets the defense, because I know people that have said that Andrew Jones is the best defensive center fielder they've ever seen. You know, it's Willie Mays, then it's Andrew Jones. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit uh, interesting. But to answer the question, I think I would vote for him, and I think he's going to get a lot of votes because of, you know, it's kind of opened up a little bit. There's not a Absolutely. ton of, not a ton of guy. I think him, Scott Rowland, who I saw him at the tail end. 
I had no idea if, you know, he was a Hall of Famer. But looking at it now, you know, third base is the least represented in the Hall of Fame. And there's Schmidt, there's Brett, there's Chipper, there's a few others, Eddie Matthews, nothing else. So I, wow. I think Scott Rowland's a really, really interesting case, in my opinion. Um, but Omar Vizquel, you know, also same thing with, with uh, Vizquel. Um, Roland kind of compares to Vizquel. They both play defense, but Roland mm-hmm. hit a little bit more. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit interesting. But, yeah, Vizquel's an interesting case for sure. Um, so moving on here to um, today's game. Is baseball in trouble? Because, you know, taking away minor league teams, they're losing good affiliates, they're losing fantastic athletes to other sports just because the other sports look fun. They're less expensive. Baseball, I feel like, has taken a big step back in recent years. I know they're trying to get out into the community with the whole play ball outreach. They're trying to get into the inner cities. I think that's great, but I also think it doesn't match their actions from a business standpoint. And, you know, business is messy. I mean, the minor league teams upsets me. The fact that the Fresno Grizzlies, I I think they got bumped down to like low A or something, or maybe they don't even have a team. I didn't even see, that's how much I know. I didn't even look into it, but the Fresno Grizzlies not having a triple A team doesn't seem right. What are your thoughts in, in baseball's current direction? I think baseball lacks big time leadership. Uh, it's been one of the things that bothers me more than anything. Rob Manfred is a, he's a, he's a lackey for Bud Selig. He always has been, always will be. And this is the problem with baseball. The NFL and the national basketball association have realized, Hey, our product, as much as it is about the fans is a television product, right? We're putting this out on television. The number one, most eyeballs, the most way we're going to get our revenue is going to be on television. And baseball is just a bad watch on television, if we're being honest, outside of the playoffs. Why? Because there's a lack of sense of urgency. And that's why this year's playoffs were so highly regarded. Yes, there wasn't a whole lot to watch on other channels, which did factor into it. But having more markets involved in the game, more sense of urgency, less wasted inventory. I think the NBA struggles during the regular season for this exact fact. The NFL only gives you so much to watch. And that's why every Sunday is appointment viewing. If you miss one pitch, I mean, uh, one inning, uh, one quarter, excuse me, then you're going to miss everything. In baseball, you can tune out and go to your 70 for a week and you come back and you're like, oh, they're only three and a half back. We're still in there. Like, it, it doesn't even matter because there's so much throwaway inventory. And it made sense in the 50s and in the 60s when you weren't on television. I would completely eradicate how baseball looks at everything right now. I just think their business model is totally screwed up. I love baseball. I love the traditional fact. But the problem is, is they have not adapted on the fly. Like, think of some of the modern rule changes. Adding the, the DH into the NL. Like, that's, that's the only thing that they've done about anything. And what drives me nuts is that the purists, oh, the numbers – Every ballpark has different dimensions. Everybody's playing at different sea levels. The ball, you know this, you grew up in, in the Bay Area. Ball travels uh, very, very far in the East Bay when it's hot and warm in the afternoon and does not travel at all on a cold, windy Crocker Park night. You know what I mean? And yet somehow we're obsessed with numbers. Some fences are 400 yards uh, feet away. Some are 335 down the line. And we're just obsessed with the numbers, and it drives me nuts. We never talk about st- uh, Sid Luckman's interception to touchdown ratio back in 1955. Yeah, we do that in baseball because we want to wax poetically about the past. It's the only sport where the past means more than the present or the future. All the other sports, it's about what's going on right now, what we're going to do next week. Baseball's like, look what happened in 1997 with the New York Yankees. And it drives me nuts regarding like just the business model of the minor leagues. It's just broken. I mean, that's where we're at. It's just broken. Think about this. Zion Williamson, you're a sports fan. Could you imagine a world where the NBA was trying to suppress Zion Williamson from the public? Hey, you're not ready. Go down to the NBDL and work things out for a couple of years because we want to suppress your salary and we don't want you to hit the big league club early because we don't want to pay you that much, to be totally honest with you. Well, that's what Vladimir Guerrero Jr., had happened in Toronto. That's what we saw the, the Cubs trying to do to Chris Bryant. He was ready to lose his freaking mind over it. 
Only in baseball do we suppress talent so that we can have a controllable financial asset. It drives me completely insane. And it's it just, you don't do that in any other walk of life. We don't do that with television. We don't do that with our movie stars. We don't do that with our musicians. We don't do that in football. And we certainly don't do that in basketball. Why the hell are you doing it in baseball? I mean, it just... It, it's it's mind-blowing. For every Bryce Harper, there's 700 Joey Barts who we don't see until they're 23 or 24 years old. And they just do a terrible job of getting these people to the big show and marketing them and making them someone that young Steven Risotto wants to buy a jersey for. Exactly. I think you, you put it perfectly. Um, Major League Baseball has never helped the minor leagues. We've been crying no. for minor league pay for so many years and nothing has ever been done about it. And now their solution is to just get rid of the minor league teams. And I think it's just a, it's a lack of trying. It really is. So, well, you know, I hear you on that. I hear you on that, but I would say this, I think it's too diluted. There's too many, you don't need four levels of minor leagues. I don't need to see 41 year old Todd Linden in AAA for 10 straight years. I come over that. I don't need to see that guy anymore. How long, how long did Chris Shaw sit in the minor league system for the San Francisco? I'm just using him as an example for the, for the giants. Way too long. Like, yeah. way too long. In the NFL, he'd have been called up as a practice squad player by week 16. We would have saw what we had, and we would have been able to get that off our chest and be like, all right, well, he stinks. Next guy up. That's how every other sport operates, except baseball. And I do believe they got themselves into some weird footing with the minor league system. There's just too many levels. All right, you need to fast-track these guys. Why do you think Kyler Murray went from being a number 10 overall pick in baseball with guaranteed money in his hand and he said, you know what, I'd rather play where the shelf life is significantly smaller because I want to start right now for the mm -hmm. Arizona Cardinals. I'm going to be the number one overall pick. He don't want to ride a bus in the middle of nowhere for some low-A, class-A affiliate of, of the Texas Rangers or the Oakland A's or whoever the hell it was that was that drafted him. And it's just – it's a sad indictment of where we're at because baseball's model, the financial model that I keep talking to you about, is broken. And they need to reset it. And, and that's what the crux of all of this is. They're trying to break the minor leagues, but in reality, they need to break their own player payment system. That's really the reality of where they're at. Yeah, and I think MLB does a great job with the draft and, and televising it. But then it's just a big drop-off. So, like, if, if we're looking at the NBA, we hear that, oh, LaMelo Ball, you know, gets drafted. We're going to get to see him right away. But, you know, <laughs> we, see, we see a guy like, you know, I'm trying to think, Kyle Crick, that's the name that came to mind for some reason. Kyle Crick get drafted, and we, he's got to wait. He's got to take all these long bus rides, and, you know, we don't get to see him three, you know, three, four years. And it's just, you know, we forget about these guys that are high draft picks, and it, it just becomes a big, you know, sideshow. So, one, and think about this, like, I just look at how baseball has been run the last couple of years, and, and some teams are, are getting it, right? The, the kid Fernando Tatis Jr. is an absolute superstar. The oh, smartest yeah. thing that they could have possibly done was say, you know what, you're 19 years old, you're going to start in San Diego, you're going to play shortstop. Day one, we're just going to bite the bullet. Whatever your learning curve is, you're going to learn on the fly. And this guy's spectacular. And how many people are now San Diego Padre fans? Not because the team's winning, because Fernando Tatis Jr. is excited as hell, and he makes you want to love the game. I need more of those guys, but I want to see them quicker. I don't want to see, look, and again, nice guy. I'm not trying to single him out, but like Chadwick Trump, that doesn't do it for people. They heard about Joey Bart three years ago. They want to see Joey Bart. And, and I know it takes time to develop these guys. And I would rather see them develop and struggle at the big league level than be buried in a minor league system where they become Gary Brown and I never see them. And all I do is click and click and click on these minor league sites and I see their picture, but I have no frame of reference. There's no YouTube highlight package. There's nothing. There's literally nothing. If Mike Estremski hits a home run in a game, you cannot just take that footage and redistribute it on Twitter. You got to wait till MLB posts it and the Giants post it, and then we could post it. If Steph Curry crosses someone over, I see it 7,000 times before we even get to commercial. It's, again, I go back to the business model. Baseball's business model is broken. Yeah, and Gary Brown, by the way, I reached out to him to come on here, and uh, he left me on red. Gary, if you're watching this, dude, come on. You got to clean it up. Uh, Cal State Fullerton, huh? You left you left you hanging. I'm sorry. Left me hanging. So did Nick Swisher. Nick Swisher agreed and then left me hanging. That would have been a good get. That would have been a big get. But you know, maybe this. You know what I would tell him? Yeah, he got he got caught hanging on a lot of sliders, and he didn't get the bat <laughs> off his shoulders. So it's nothing new for for the Swish man. 
Yeah, Nick Swisher, former Oakland A. So let's get into some free agency stuff. Uh, you mentioned Joey Bart and Chadwick Trump. Trump just got signed to a minor league deal. Yeah. But that are, that doesn't matter. Anyways, if you're the San Francisco Giants, what is your main focus this offseason? We saw a lot of offense last year. Yeah. Um, the bullpen obviously has been a need for – it's got to be at least five years now. And it, take it away. What, what do you see? What do you think – where do you think additions need to be made? You know, cause yeah. this, this is a team that was one game away from making the playoffs. Yeah. They were one game away from making the playoffs, but if the season had been elongated out, forget 162, yeah. they play 110 games. The pitching was just going to fall out. I mean, they, they barely face planted to the 60 game mark. I mean, they ran out of pitching to me. They have no pitching, just no pitching whatsoever. Johnny Cueto loved the guy. He's a shell of himself. Uh, Samarjo was just god-awful the entire time that they had him. I did like what I saw from Logan Webb. I don't have any grandiose opinions that he's going to be some front-end starter. Can he be a three or a four? You know what I mean? Can, can he be a guy that I can rely on, hand him the ball uh, every, three or, uh, every five days, excuse me, as my number three or my number four starter, and eat me 175 to 210 innings? Like, that's – I don't know. I, I would like to see it. I, I want to believe it. But they need starting pitching. I don't know where I'm at as far as, like, which guys am I going to target? I like them bringing back Gosman. I mean, I think Gosman pitched really well for them. I think he's a versatile arm. He can be a guy that maybe you could throw in the bullpen because they desperately need a closer. But they've gotten into this situation where I believe Farhan does a really good job in between the margins, meaning those back half of the roster, just working through guys like it's a fantasy football team, dropping, swooping, and just kind of rolling the dice. I love that about him. He still needs to get some guys that are franchise builders. And I don't even know if Joey Bart's that kind of a guy, but you need pillars of the organization. I look at what the Atlanta Braves have put together. And, and Freddie Freeman's had an unbelievable career with them. But let's be real, it really started to pop for them when Acuna came up. And he is a pillar of that organization. You get that young third baseman, you surround him with, with Albies and Acuna, and now you're really working with something. Same thing happened for the Cubs a few years back. we obviously seen what the Dodgers have done with Bellinger and some of their young studs. The Padres, who I referenced earlier, Fernando Tatis Jr., they just need one guy to be a centerpiece. And I love Mike Skrimsky. It's a great story. Maybe he could be a Justin Turner-like player, but he's not a cornerstone player. For, for an organization. So I don't know where they get that guy. Is it via trade, Chris Bryant, who might not sign an extension with the Chicago Cubs? Is it Nolan Arenado? I, I have a hard time believing that we have the ammunition uh, to bring in someone like that. But I would love for them to jumpstart this thing offensively and get themselves someone right away who can help them. The other thing in pitching, I think I would love to get Trevor Bauer on a way over the top three, four-year deal max. I'm not giving any pitchers more than four years, uh, I would overpay significantly for like a three-year deal. Three years, $110 million. Like dead serious because I really like him. But I don't want to be long-term committed to someone four, five, six years down the line who's a free agent starting pitcher because their arm could give off at any moment. So pitching, pitching, pitching is the reality of what they're looking for. But if we, you know, zoom it back out, Stephen, they need a centerpiece of the organization. They just don't have that guy right now. Yeah, and I think that they're going to – in terms of pitching, I think that they're going to go more of, you know, get a guy like a Kevin Gosman, kind of a – and as much as fans don't want to see it, they're going to go out and get a kind of a reconstruction guy and kind of like a Taiwan Walker or Michael Walker. The Drew Smiley, Drew Pomerantz types that they can roll the dice on for a 4 or $5 million deal. And then look, look, at, look, look what happened with the guy, the lefty who got the blister. What's his name? It wasn't Pomerantz. It's the other Smiley, right? Smiley. He pitched five times for the Giants, and what do you get, $12 million, $11 million? Crazy. It's yeah. out of this world, but that's what starting pitching is commanding right now, and that goes to kind of tell you where the entire league of baseball is. Nobody has enough starting pitching. It, it is it's so hard to find it, and I think where the Giants are at in their rebuild, they have had to fill the cover with everyday players, and I think once those everyday players start to come up, you're going to see them switch their focus in the draft to trying to cultivate some of that young pitching. But right now, I think they're just going to have to hit the free agent market and, like you said, get those one, two-year deals, those premium guys, and see if they can continue to parlay them. Yeah, I got I got three guys on my radar. Tywan Walker, who pitched great last year with the Blue Jays. Yeah. Maybe, I, like I, I could see him getting a multi-year deal somewhere. Michael Walker, 
who was not too good with the, the Mets. But however, he was good back in the day for the Cardinals. However, the stuff is there still there. And mm-hmm. if you look at it, he's striking out almost 10 guys per nine. So his stuff's still there. And then the last guy is probably Carlos Rodon, who was a former first-round pick for the White Sox, and they just non-tendered him. So those are a couple guys that well, I got on my radar that could fill out some rotation spots. And if you look at some of Farhan's moves, he likes those former first-rounders. He likes those guys that, that were highly sought of for whatever reason, didn't reach their full potential. He's done a really good job on those types of acquisitions. Like, I believe in Farhan. He's not, he hasn't been perfect, but I believe that he's got this thing going in the right direction. And I think he's shined up some of their, their nasty, if you will. But, I mean, let's be real. They, they've got pretty much everybody coming off the books after this year. I believe the yeah. only guy of, of prominence is Evan Longoria and his – horrible contract that's weighing them down but uh but they've got a lot of money to spend over the next couple of years but can some of these young prospects that are inexpensive can these guys come up and make a make an impact like i don't know is bishop gonna be that guy is joey bart ever gonna be that guy i have reservations on a lot of these guys until i see them I, i look at prospects as suspects until proven otherwise so time will tell yeah Hunter Bishop, a uh, Sarah guy, by the way, but yeah, let's, let's segue into that. Let, what was it like growing up in San Francisco? Cause I know you're, you're a San Franciscan <laughs> to the core. Yeah. You're, you're a San Francisco historian to some extent. What was your experience growing up in San Francisco? So I grew up in the Excelsior. Uh, my dad grew up in St. Mary's Park. My mom grew up in the Sunset. I'm a fifth generation San Franciscan and I grew up with a ton of family, right? So my dad's one of five, my mom's one of five. I got lots and lots of cousins. And we grew up in a neighborhood where at the time there was a lot of kids in the neighborhood. And so we grew up out in front of the street playing ball, whether it was basketball, football, baseball, whatever sport it was, was our favorite, whatever season it was, was our favorite sport on that particular time. You know what I mean? Like when it was baseball season, baseball was our favorite sport. When it was basketball season, basketball was our favorite sport. So it was just a a golden age, to be honest with you, growing up in the city, because it's a lot different now. There aren't a lot of kids here. There's a lot of tech money and you have a lot of people that um, have priced out, I think, a lot of the blue collar families that, that grew up in a lot of these neighborhoods. And so um it was just a different time we used to go to st mary's park crocker park and there was gym directors and you just have you know hundreds of kids just showing up to the park playing ball and just organized uh unorganized pickup games would just happen you don't see that now i I drive around all over the city you know to the sunset excelsior down into the richmond you do not see kids just showing up to the ballpark with their gloves and tennis shoes on just playing strikeouts or playing home run derby or playing pickle or playing rundown or any of those things. You don't see kids shooting hoops at the park like, like we did back in the day. Um, and I think it's, it's partly because of the technology, but it's also because of where San Francisco's at, where it's just so expensive for people to live here and raise a family that so many people want to move away. Um, and so it's just, it's so different now than when it was when I was a kid. And, and you know, the teams are so much better now than when I was a kid. The Niners were great. The Warriors sucked. The Giants were garbage. You know, the A's were the best thing in town. And and I was not an A's fan. I grew up a Giants fan. So um, went to a lot of Giants games with my dad growing up at Candlestick. It was real cheap. Me and my boys used to take the 29 bus up and over the hill and, We'd go to Candlestick for a dollar, and you can't really do that nowadays. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, growing up in the city is um, it, it's uh, we always joke you're a dying breed. Like the people that are from here, born and raised here, it's it's a dying breed, and it's kind of a badge of honor to be able to stay here. You know, and, and we know how hard it is to sacrifice to stay here. So, we we create a very unique individual. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Hello from I went to school in San Francisco, but hello from Pacifica. <laughs> You, well, I got uh, a lot of friends from Pacifica. Pacifica is known as a baseball town. We oh, used yeah. to play Good Shepherd and Oceania in basketball. We used to whoop up on them. But in baseball, they always held their own. I mean, they, they always did San Bruno, South City, always held their own in baseball. Um, if you played All-Star Blue or Reds at Park and Rec back in the day, um, then, you know, you went up against a lot of the Peninsula schools, and they used to whoop up on us city boys. Yeah. So you mentioned the kids aren't in the streets anymore and the kids aren't at the fields anymore. You are doing a lot to make sure that that is still something that goes on by, you, you know, I know you're coaching some schools in San Francisco. What drew you to that? Can you, can you speak on that for a second? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, um, you know, I, I had a, a different, you know, family life, if you will. My dad was great. You know, my mom was great, but they were both working and they're both doing a lot. And so, you know, we had a lot of, I, 
wild time and I was a bad kid. I got into a lot of shenanigans and I did a lot of horrible things that I have. God knows where I'd be. I mean, I'm being real. I, I, my life could have gone in a lot of different directions. Um, you know, I got kicked out of a couple different high schools, right? And it's something that uh, I was ashamed of forever, but now I've kind of come to grips with it. And it's just like, this is part of my story. And what I got into more from my own therapeutic releases, if you will, was coaching and giving back. And I really like to hopefully share my experiences and the things that I've been through so that kids cannot, you know, repeat the same dumbass mistakes that I did. Uh, and if there's, you know, a way that I can continue to be a kid, being around them, teaching them things that I love, which is sports, um, then, you know, you're forever young. And I try to do, and it sounds super corny, but I try to just you know, be there. And I don't just coach A teams or anything like that. Like usually I'm coaching a, a D team or a C team that these kids aren't necessarily the best players um, at their school or in the neighborhood. And they otherwise wouldn't like sports. So I want them to love sports the way I love sports because your attachment to sports should be about good memories and good camaraderie. It's not about winning. It's not about, you know, dunking on someone or hitting grand slams. It's about all the downtime and the fun. And if you can able to turn on the Giants game or the Warrior game and just like be addicted like I am for life, it's a great pastime and it's a great way of building that communal bond with a lot of people that you live with. You know, I, I have major civic pride. And I think part of why I love sports is it brings people together in competition that's healthy and we'll, we'll fight at it and we'll go at it. We'll try to beat each other. And then at the end we shake hands, you know, and there's just something that I really, really, really love about that. I've learned so many life lessons uh, through sports and it's so corny that people say that all the time, but it is the God honest truth. I've learned how to lose. I've learned how to overcome. I've learned how to be a better teammate. I've learned how to be a better person. I've learned how to realize when I'm in the wrong, I've learned better self-awareness you learn so many skills playing sports that you can transfer to so many facets of your life. And I cannot tell you uh, how much of a positive impact it's had on my life. In many ways, sports has saved my life. And I mean that sincerely. So, and then you get into broadcasting, of course. How did that start? I mean, I know you used <laughs> to call, used to call in all the, the local radio stations and, and uh, you know, Butcher Boy is on the line, and <laughs> so how did your how did your uh, how did you get connected in the sports talk industry? Well, basically, you know, social media changed so rapidly um, when I was in my twenties, and I never I never went to college. I don't even have a high school diploma. I have a GED, you know. And so um, when sports ended for me in my senior year, I got kicked out before the before January first of my senior year. It was like oh my God, what am I going to do? I didn't realize how much I loved it and how much um, I appreciated all those things and the routines, you know, of, of getting ready for every sport and filling all that idle time. I kind of went crazy and I started getting into so many random things and I, and I started going down a path of life that I didn't even know where it was taking me. Um, at some point, I, I, I got myself together. I picked myself up and I started a business, a small little uh, butcher shop because I was working at a meat shop back in the day. And I used to call in to all the sports shows uh, on the radio. And at the time, there was only one station, KMBR. That was it. And there was a bandsaw, a little meat saw. And I would scream and yell over the meat saw up at Tower Market. And we would talk sports and whatnot. And I would call in with my hot takes and the, uh, the name of the bandsaw was Butcher Boy. So the guys at the meat shop dubbed me Butcher Boy, and that's how the nickname came in because I would be on the phone, you know, in the back of the meat shop, calling in with the old cord wrapped all the way to the freezer, and, uh, and I started doing that. And then eventually, I want to say in about 2010, 2011, 2012, podcasts started coming out. And someone like Sal Castaneda, who were kind of mutual friends through, through my uncle and stuff because he's a rearing guy, one day says, hey, why don't you come on my podcast? Um, and I was like, mm, podcasts and not even know what the hell that was. Like no one knew what podcasts were. Uh, and then I did a podcast with him and, and Matt Steinmetz. And I don't even know when this was, but maybe 2014, 2015, at some point like that. And after filming the podcast, he basically said, Hey, you should get into this. You should start your own podcast. I thought he was an idiot. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the dumbest thing ever. I don't have the money. I don't have the equipment. I don't have the, the know-how. I didn't go to school for any of these things. And I said, you know what? I should do this. And then I just started, you know, literally recording on a horrible computer that was super old and slow. And I started making these podcasts similar to how you're doing it now, except it sounded awful. It sounded like I was doing a rap tape from the 1980s in my basement. And I just kept putting it out there. And I'd get like five listens at most. And it would be like me listening to it like five times in a row or one of my buddies or something like that. 
that and kept putting it out and I just kept sending it to the program director uh, at KMBR in 95.7. Eventually, uh, my buddy Damon, Bruce, who I used to call all the time, he gets my cell phone, social media, Twitter. He reaches out, says, why don't you come into the studio and do an hour with me? It's like, of course, this is like a dream come true. I showed up in my suit and I showed up all decked out. I had my resume. I was gonna walk right in to the program director's office and hand my resume down and tell him, I'm the guy that's been emailing you like crazy. Give me a chance. That's all I ask for. Listen, give me a chance. And he said, you know, I've never had a person email me every single week for however many, two years. I'll give you that chance. And he ends up getting fired. And a new guy comes in, Matt Nahigian, who is our program director now. And he took a chance on me after hearing me one time. And he said, why don't you do some weekend shifts? And I got my foot in the door on weekend shifts. The very first show I ever did, Richard Sherman signed with the San Francisco 49ers. And it was like God sending a lightning bolt right down to me. Who better to talk about Richard Sherman and the 49ers than myself? And we did a great show. And I remember I got off a bar and the phone rang and it was Matt Nahigan, the program director. And I thought, oh my God, I'm fired. Like, why is he calling me at nine o'clock at night as I'm walking back on bar? And he said, that was incredible. And I just kept showing up. I kept taking every shift they could possibly give me. I was working two jobs. I'm still working two jobs. I was ready to lose my mind. I did every weekend I possibly could for years upon years. I did a night show. I was working six days a week at the radio station, six days a week in my other job, sleeping at no, like no hours whatsoever. And eventually I got a night show. And uh, this last summer I got very lucky. And me, Bonte and Kate Scott got the morning show. We worked really hard to get it. Um, but, uh, that's a long story. I'm sorry. I wish it was very straight lined, but like, I don't have a high school, um, background in, in TV production or in radio production. I don't have a college degree in, in communications or in broadcasting. I did work at Reardon in the television production, video production at the times, what we called it a uh, class with Mr. Uh, Vizzali, who was a big time influence to me. I never thought that this was something that I could do. Like truly, I never thought that I could do something like this. And I just kept being persistent and kept doing it. And I think the fact that I am someone who didn't come up the right way, you know, the journalist way, makes me unique and makes me myself. And I can still kind of straddle the line of fandom and reality all at once. And that's kind of the lane that I try to occupy. I look at myself as the fan who's behind enemy lines talking about our teams that we love in a way that's relatable to the common person. And that's what I hope people feel when they hear me. I hope they think that I try to put on for my community because I got sick and tired of hearing people talk about my Giants, my Warriors, and my Niners when they didn't grow up loving these teams like we did. You can still rip the team and love them and just think they're making horrible decisions, you know? And um, so, I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm long-winded here, Stephen. I apologize. But I'm just trying to say that, like, you got to be persistent. You got to go out there and you got to get it. No one's going to hand you nothing. I love that. That was great. That was a great story. Don't worry about it being too long because I think the, the listeners and, and watchers of this would, would uh, follow every last second of that for sure. So that leads me to my next question. Is there a certain persona? Because I know you mentioned kind of the borderline of fandom and media and, and you're kind of the guy that's fan, but you're on the media side and you're like, hey, you know, this is, this is, I'm going to represent this section of the fans and yeah. you're an energetic guy. If you didn't have that, you'd probably be like, you know, kind of like a generic sports. Welcome to hour number two. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> does that ever come in your head while doing a show? Like just keeping yourself, keeping yourself. Don't fall into this other, you know, category that you're not. Yeah. So it's funny you reference that. When I first started doing shows, I was very insecure. I was very insecure about how it would land on people. You know, what would they think? I mean, I'm talking about when I did podcasts for crying out loud, like, I was so worried about what people thought. And I still do. Like anybody who says they don't care what people think is full of it. You want to be liked, right? Everybody wants to be liked. I don't care what walk of life. You're in. Oh, I'm screw everyone. No, no, no. Everybody wants to be liked. It's human nature, right? It's human nature. Um, but this, this producer, Lucas Alexander, is one of my dear friends. Um, and he's 10 years younger than me. But he had been in the radio industry a little longer than I have. He would get in my ear. And we have this, you know, we're wearing the headphones and he's in the back. And no one could hear it on the broadcast. But he'd get in my ear and be like, what are you doing? Be yourself. Stop pretending to be someone else. And he just kept emphasizing, be yourself, be yourself. Now, does that mean continue to make the same mistakes? And they, No. But what he's saying is be authentic to yourself. 
yourself. Don't talk the way you wouldn't normally talk. So many people, they think they have to have the broadcaster voice. You know, so many people think it needs to be holier than now and sanctimonious and that we need to take everything very serious. That's not how I roll in my life. I like to have fun. Sports is a release for most people from their normal stresses. We're having fun. You have fun playing ball. Like, yeah, it can be serious. There's a time to be serious, but I like to have fun. And I can't stand when people can't make fun of themselves, specifically in the media. And it drives me nuts that so many people who cover the games hate sports hate having fun, hate to see anything joyous, and they don't have the perspective of paying with their hard-earned money to go to these games and understand the plight of the normal person. They think that the normal fan is stupid and doesn't know baseball. Well, I disagree. <laughs> I'm just using baseball as an example. How many beat writers would Steven Risotto want to have teach his son how to throw a baseball? Not many. Not many if we're being totally honest. And that's Very not enough. Yeah, I got it. Well, I love caring. But again, like my point being is that I think too many people lose sight of the big picture. And that's one thing I've always tried to do is I'm not a journalist. I'm a big E entertainer. That's kind of my joke. There's the big J. I'm a big E, big E entertainer. And people want to tune in to feel good, be entertained. And hopefully I can explain some of the things they saw on their television in a way that they can understand or comprehend better. And that's all I'm trying to do. Make them think a little have some fun, talk about stuff from the past, break it down in a consumptionable way to where anyone can pick it up and be like, all right, now I know it a little better. You know, not that I know everything. I'm learning stuff every single day, but I feel like I do have a really good grasp on the history of these teams, how to, to frame things in a way that makes sense historically. And I think too many times people come into this market and they use San Francisco as a stepping stone to get to ESPN to get to Fox, to get to the bigger, brighter lights somewhere else. And I just, all I've ever wanted to do was put on for my city and, and do the best I can representing people like you. And I know that sounds corny, but it's the truth. Yeah, for sure. And congrats on this new morning show, by the way, with Kate Scott and Bonta Hill. The dream, it's a dream come true. People say that, but it really is. Like I grew up, again, I, I'm a lunatic. I grew up listening to Gary Radnitz, Ralph Barbieri. I grew up listening to Bob Fitzgerald and, and Rod Brooks and Tom Tolbert and all the people that were Rick Barry, all the guys that were at KMU. I grew up listening to Damon Bruce, you know, and without Damon, I wouldn't have a spot where I am. I grew up listening to Greg Papa and Bonte Hill and all these people. And now I'm their colleague, but I'm not, I'm not really, I'm behind enemy lines. I'm allowed to kind of live in a weird vortex. And that's what I hope I do. Like there's enough stiff people out there. Let me be me, you know? And I've, I hope I've turned it into a little niche for myself. There's a lot of people that hate me and they don't understand what I'm trying to do. And that's fine. Um, but I know in my heart of hearts that I care about people and about my community. And I just try to do the best I can. I don't take it that serious, Stephen. Too many take, take it so serious, don't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's <laughs> whenever I listen to you on uh, sometimes you're filling in for the afternoon with uh, Damon and I listen to you with the right Ratto, It always makes me laugh because it's just two completely different energies. Just <laughs> it's so good. It's well, it's great because I grew up reading Ray Ratto. I would run to the you know newspaper and I would read him, and I, I joke with him all the time. And I think it drives him nuts to be honest with you that he is an esteemed you know esteemed journalist who's got 40 years of writing unbelievable articles across the country. Everyone knows who he is. And I'm just some schmuck. And you know what? We're at the exact same spot in our careers, on air, on the radio. And I love to sink into that fact. And if it bothers him, which I don't think it does that much, but if it bothers other people out there, then maybe that's a you problem, not a me problem. I mean, seriously, we're talking about sports here, people. Like when you go out and play catch with your friends, don't you have fun? Isn't that what this is about? Mm -hmm. Like, really? Like, we're not talking about the election or the vaccine or COVID or something serious, real, real world problems. This is the toy department of life. If you're not having fun, then how do you expect the audience to have fun? That's what I want to do. I want the audience to have fun. 100%. So I got a few rapid fire questions Sorry, for before we leave. Um, a few rapid fires here. Number one, if you were to select one place in the city to hang out, where would you pick? One place. Wow. Uh, am I a local? Am I a non-local? Like, what, 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 what am I? You are, let's start with local. Okay, a local? You know, uh, some of my favorite places in the city are, are actually kind of the tourist traps, which I know a lot of people don't like. Like, I do believe if you're from San Francisco, have you walked the Golden Gate Bridge? 
You'd be shocked how many people don't. Like so many people I know, born and raised here, never walked the Golden Gate Bridge. Do something like that. It's super cool, super fun. Uh, Land's End is a great spot. Um, so many other places uh, on the water that are, that are absolutely great. But I love Fisherman's Wharf. And I know it's closed right now, but I get a kick out of Fisherman's Wharf. I'm down there a lot for my, my sales job. And it's just a, a different different place. And I know a lot of locals hate that spot, but I love it. Embarcadero is great. I love everything about the waterfront. We have some of the best views on the planet, but if you're not local, forget those places. You should go up to Coit Tower and you need to go to Twin Peaks, something like that, and just get one of those beautiful views. If not, go around Portola off Corbett right there and just get to the top, look on down and check out that beautiful view of downtown, the entire Bay Area. There's really nothing like it. Yeah, for sure. All right, next one. If you had to interview one person on your show, who would it be? One person. That's if I had loaded. to interview one person from my show. No, no, no. I love this. If I had to interview one person alive, I would say it's Barry Bonds. I, yeah. I want to I interview Barry Bonds. Uh, I got a chance to meet him a couple of times. He's been so gracious and nice um, before I was even in media. And uh, I just would love to just, you know, have Barry Bonds on the show. I've been very lucky. I got a chance to hang out with Jerry Rice in his backyard. I interview him every Monday on the show. It's it's a dream come true. I mean, it, it, I'm doing stuff me and my boys talked about when we were kids that I never even thought was possible. And and I truly appreciate it. Like, that's, that's the thing. Like, I think a lot of people don't appreciate when we have these guests on. Oh, you know, we're just talking to Ronnie Lott. Like, it's no big thing. Like, no, I still get geeked out every single time I'm talking to Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice! You know what I mean? How could you not be geeked out? So, yeah, I want to do Barry Bonds. That's a, that's a good response there. So, we got a few Twitter questions in here. Yeah. Uh, just Candlestick Will wants to know, some of your favorite random 49ers, Giants, Warriors. So he mentioned like the Craig Lefferts, Brian Cardinal. So give me some of your random, random athletes. I love Mike Benjamin. Mike Benjamin played like seven positions in one game for the Giants. He also ended up playing for the for the uh, for the Boston Red Sox at one time. I just I love utility players. I don't know why. I've always liked utility players. I just I kind of was a utility player in many senses. I'll play anywhere coach wants me to play. You know what I mean? That's kind of always been my my mantra. I hate when guys like I only play second base. I only play right field. It's like, nah, dude. If you want to get in that lineup, you got to play everywhere on the diamond. So I love those utility players. I will forever have a soft spot in my heart for Travis Ishikawa. He looks like my late uh, brother-in-law who passed away. And every time I see that highlight, I think of him. Um, and just the story that Travis Ishikawa went through, I, I just always loved him. I love Terry Kennedy growing up, you know, who was a great, great giant catcher for the 1989 team. Uh, and Robbie Thompson. Robbie Thompson was one of my guys growing up. Absolutely love Robbie Thompson. When I go to the 49ers, I mean, there's so many. I love Julian Peterson, Patrick Willis. I mean, there's those are the bigger names, but like the random names, like I love the Vinnie Sutherlands of the world, the random white kick returner that no one remembers but me. And you just see his little Fred Flintstone legs running across the field. Those kind of guys, John Engelberger, random defensive end who stunk for the Niners. Those guys always crack me up. And for the Warriors, man, there's so many. There's so many guys. But my one go-to always for the Warriors is David Wood. He signed a 10-day contract in like the late 90s, early 2000s, and kept signing 10-day contracts because the team was so bad. He had this giant elbow pad. He ended up playing for the Dallas Mavericks after, but he was just this big white stiff. And he thought he was Dirk Nowitzki before Dirk Nowitzki. And everyone was like, who is this random white guy? And he used to just absolutely kill it. And I love David Wood. I don't know why. Yeah. And one more question here from Twitter. All right. Those are, those are some good picks, by the way. One more question from Twitter. It's from uh, your guy here, Cody Elias, who is now oh, a media producer with the A's. Yeah. Uh, he does some stuff with the A's cast over there. Uh, he asked, this is a very smart-ass question. He says, can you ask if Matt Weisler, who's the new Giants reliever, if his XBA, which is ex-batting average, <laughs> if his XBA will increase next year and if he'll, uh, and if he'll continue to throw his slider? I mean, I don't even know who this guy is. I, who watches Minnesota Twins baseball? Like, give me, get, get out of here. I, I hate advanced analytics, all right? It just, it's not that I hate it. I think that, like, Theo Epstein finally copped to, we've gone way overboard. Steven, you played the game your whole life. There is an art to the game. I'm not saying science doesn't exist. Science absolutely exists. There is a place for science. But it's a blend of art 
and science. And that's what made baseball so beautiful to me. All right. When you are talking launch angles left and right, and you're talking about what's someone's BABIP and what's, what's their spin ratio and all those things, you just lose me. That's just me. You lose me. And it drives me nuts. And I think that we've got so caught up in the numbers and the science that we've lost the art. And right now we're imbalanced in the game. The ball's not in play enough. The, the art of the hit and run is gone. Bunting, being a contact hitter. Like, could you imagine Wade Boggs or Ichiro coming up in this day and age? They'd be like, ah, you know, they just don't hit for power like we need them to. You know, I don't care if his batting average is 340. I would like him to take a little higher launch angle so that he could get that exit velocity up a little. Like, we would just take away what made them so brilliant at what they did. And the key to life, Stephen, if I teach you anything, is variety. Okay. If you do not have variety in your life, you will get bored. I don't care what it is. If everyone pitches and hits the exact same way, there's no variety. What makes someone unique? We have a league filled with, with, with Joey Gallows and, and Adam Dunlikes. We don't have a league anymore with the beauty of, of a Ricky Henderson or a Vince Coleman who would steal 100 bases or someone who could go first to third like Ichiro could or someone like Tony Gwynn who just hit him where you were. You know what I mean? Like, I live for those kind of guys. And the beauty of a Greg Maddox, who's one of the greatest pinpoint pitchers I've ever seen. In my my favorite pitcher of all time. And mine as well. But it's impossible to be a Greg Maddox in today's day and age because you got to get your spin ratio up. you got to get your velo up. you got to do this. This is ridiculous. Like the art of Juan Marichal. We celebrate Juan Marichal in front of AT&T Park. He had 12 different arm slots. Would they allow a kid to develop 12 different arm slots in today's day and age, Stephen? No. And that's the beauty of what made him so great. Like, you didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't even know what he was going to do. And that's why I love someone like Johnny Cueto, as bad as it's been the last couple of years. He is an art. He pitches with the beautiful eye. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes he quick pitches you. Sometimes he does the little shimmy. And it's what makes him so unique and so great. We obsess with how hard you throw and how far you can hit the ball when the the key is we just need more variety. That's all. I just want more variety. Yeah, Greg Maddox. I've never seen him pitch, but he's one of my favorites to watch. He's one of my favorites to read about. Because he reminds me, and I'm not Greg Maddox, but he reminds me of the type of style that I like to use. I barely hit 70 in high school. Well, but, um, but Steven, here's the thing. Greg Maddox was the smartest pitcher who ever lived. Yeah. And on top of that, he understood what his limitations were. Never taught more than 92, and that's its prime but painted corners and kept you off balance. And that is the art of pitching. It's not about blowing the ball by people. It's about keeping people off balance. So they swing early in counts and chop little easy ground balls to your shortstop and who can eat it up like a, like a vacuum cleaner. Right. And that's what he did better than anyone. I watched him win his 350th game uh, Dodgers versus the giants when he was a Dodger late in his career. The guy was, he was freaking Picasso. There were better like, you know, Pedro in his prime was probably better. Randy Johnson at times was probably better. But as far as totality and, and the guile and the guts that I love, Greg Maddox one of my favorite players of all time. For sure. And I saw a stat on him where rarely got to three ball counts. And it's amazing. Didn't walk anybody. And, you know, the I would say I like the adrenaline more from a four-pitch inning rather than <laughs> a six-pitch strikeout. Steve, I mean, you've played ball. Well, that's the other thing. You, you played ball your whole life. When you're on the field, okay, and you're playing third base or some outfield, and every inning is going to a full count, and every batter is going to a full count, and it's like, wow, we walk this guy. Oh, it's just draining. I would be standing on the outfield swing the bat. I'm that guy. Screaming and yelling, swing the bat, throw strikes. It drives me insane. When the ball is not in play, it's boring. That's Little League baseball. And then when the ball is put in play, nobody's ready for it. That's everybody's exactly. asleep. <laughs> it's, it's just see, you get what I'm going at. I, yeah. I like small ball, I like putting the ball in play. There's a place for home runs, everybody likes home runs. Mm-hmm. But if everybody's swinging for the fences, then nobody is hitting for contact. Give me a little bit of contact, yeah, exactly for sure. So, I got two more quick things in your right. start bench cut. Okay, so All right. you're going golfing with someone, you need a golf partner. Okay, start bench cut. These three possible golf partners. Can All I? right. Bud Selig, <laughs> Brandon Belt, <laughs> or Gavin Newsom. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. 
You know what? I'm going to start Bud Selig because I want to talk his ear off. I am going to cut Gavin Newsom because I don't want to be anywhere near that guy right now. That guy's <laughs> driving me nuts. And I'm going to bench Brandon Belt. Uh, but the only reason I want to be with Bud Selig is because I got to tell him some things. Like, I, you know, I got to get up in. I might reverse, though, Brandon Belt and Gavin. I mean, uh, Gavin Newsom and, and, and Bud Selig because depending on what day it is, I, I might want to scream at Gavin as well. Why are you having them pay for parking? <laughs> oh, we won't get into nuts. that. We won't get into that. Guy's driving me nuts. All right, start bench cut. Last one. Okay, ready? This one's a kind yeah, of a weird. I like this. One. This is fun. This one's a weird and based one. Okay, ready? Joey Curtin, your old pal, okay. head okay. varsity coach, Vigan Rassam, or Aiden Horgan. Ah, <laughs> Aiden's probably watching this. I'm going to bench Aiden Horgan. I'm going to cut Vegan Rassam because he knows I love him no matter what. He still texts me to this day, and he's a very influential person in my life. I, I legitimately love Vegan. He's, he's helped save my life in ways that he don't even know um, and had an impact on ways that he wouldn't know until I became a man. I've coached with him, too, in the last couple of years. He's a great person. And I'm going to go out, and I'm going to start Joey Curtin. I'm going to give him some love. Joey, we're going to start. I actually just sent an email, a letter of recommendation because I had a bunch of letter recommendations I did for eighth graders, and I sent it to his brother, who's the head of alumni now, or the head of uh, enrollment, or whatever the title is, uh, Danny Curtin. So, small world, right? Yeah, exactly. Joe, thanks thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. We went over. I told you 40 I'm sorry. Minutes, but we went uh, over. I could talk. But it was a lot. I could talk to you. It was a lot of fun. I could talk with you all day. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you guys could follow Joe on Twitter. And his handle is at ButcherBoy415. He's got to get the 415 in there, like we alluded to earlier with his San Francisco roots. Uh, and you can follow RizzoCast on Twitter at RizzoCast, R-I-Z-Z-O, cast. Joe, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Hey, Steven, keep doing what you're doing. I'm very proud of you. Keep rocking. You're going to get told no a thousand times. Don't listen to any of them. Keep pursuing your dream keep doing what you're doing i'm some legit you're gonna be you're gonna be going places kid i mean that i'm not even joking keep doing what you're doing you'll have me on again or i'll be talking to you at some time on my show it's coming believe me thank you thank you i appreciate that thank you guys for listening subscribe like uh we're on spotify youtube a few other things and uh, have an unbelievable day and safe holidays